The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 till 11. To talk about set politics on the line, we've got Andy Medic with us from the Animal Justice Party, MP for Western Victoria. Andy, good morning. Thanks for being back with us once again. Good morning, Mitch, and thank you. I hope you're well. Uh, not too bad. We're getting through this uh, lockdown, but hoping that maybe there's some good news for regional Victoria on the horizon this week. Uh, well, let's hope so, although this morning's numbers uh, certainly don't help that case. Um, I'm just waiting to hear some details of, you know, other than what's already been reported um, on the TV, etc. this morning with, with 246 cases in Victoria, 121 of those are linked to existing cases that they know of. And so the contact traces will be going absolutely flat out, I know, to try and track down um, you know, the sources of these other infections and, and whether they were infectious while in the community, which is, of course, the, the biggest worry of all. But it does seem, and I was saying this just before you came on air, that uh, touch wood, the cases don't seem to spread like wildfire in regional Victoria. It seems like there's parts of metropolitan Melbourne, they get one case and it just jumps out of control. Whereas here, we've had a couple of clusters in Geelong, but they haven't exactly spread like wildfire. So at least that's something that I'm clinging on to as some sort of hope that maybe there'll be some good news on the horizon. But um, the point is, when there's that many cases in metro Melbourne, the 246 today, uh, you just wonder how they can keep it out of regional Victoria and the caseload in metropolitan Melbourne is that high and we've got linkages to metropolitan Melbourne like that Thompson situation that was apparently linked to the Box Hill outbreak. Mm, look, and you're right, yeah, look, it's it's very difficult um, to contain it in Melbourne um, and just, just it's just a proximity of population thing regardless of lockdown. You know, people still need to go to the supermarkets, they still need to do a lot of other things which are quite and obviously essential services. Um, and, and look, in and the the outbreak we had in Geelong um, has been a worry, a bit of a concern, but but I think it's not as big a concern given that Geelong has one of the highest vaccination rates in the country. So, you know, that, that, that transmission and, and the ability with people to be able to handle it, a hospital system to be able to handle it, all the emergency services, medical services um, are, are there and, and ready to go. But, you know, I, it may well be a case that, you know, we have to revert back to that um, that so-called ring of steel um, around Melbourne, um, but with far greater controls than we perhaps had last time. Although Melbourne also is doing a great job on the vaccination rate. And, and this is the key to these restrictions being lifted both in Metro Melbourne and in regional areas, that getting that high vaccination rate and not so much, I believe, um, from what I'm being told, not so much the, the single-dose vaccination rate, although that's a good indicator, that's a great indicator of where we're heading in the vaccination stakes. Um, but when we get to those key double-dose vaccination rates of around 70 to 80%, that's when we'll see the significant lifting, I think. One of the things I thought interesting was when Brett Sutton over the weekend talked about supermarkets and he said that supermarkets are a bit of a hotbed for transmission and cause a lot of problems and it could be someone with the virus has gone through the checkout a couple of minutes before you and then people are apparently getting the virus from that and he said be careful about how many times you go to the supermarket and if you can avoid it, uh, do avoid it. I know a lot of people in Geelong are already just getting their groceries delivered so they don't actually need to go to a supermarket. Look, that, that's very true as well. But um, look, and I just want to, to um, say to everybody, look, 
please do the right thing in that regard. And, and no one wants their movements limited. No one wants their freedoms restricted at all. But we must do this if we're to come out the other side of it um, in, in tandem with those vaccination rates. And I want everybody just to bear in mind too that supermarket workers are very much like frontline workers, medical workers, that they're there providing an essential service. And by and large, they are still young people who are putting themselves through university or, or through high school at some point. You know, they're, they're young people in usually their first job. Um, if they're being asked by their employer to ask you to put a mask on, put a mask on. It's not too hard. If you're being asked by them to check in with the QR code, check in or sign the manual register. It's not hard. Your freedoms are not being restricted. You're being asked to comply with public health directions to help the whole community. And you certainly should not be taking your frustrations and your anger out on these young people. They don't deserve it. And perhaps there's a role here with, with supermarkets, um, you know, particularly being able to be in the position to employ private security to man those doors to ask people those questions don't put these young people in the front line it's not fair yeah seems to be the way the world actually works where it's the 16 year old on their first job that ends up being responsible for enforcing some of these very tough rules uh, and then of course they cop the brunt of the community's response to that but it's always the person that hasn't had much of a say in what the rules are that is enforcing it and as you said it's probably their first job and they're struggling to put themselves through uh, school or university Exactly, exactly. So just please think of them. That, that's all I ask. I'm just wondering what you make of the, I'm calling it the pivot, where they sort of changed tact last week and clearly the new cases today confirm that we're probably on the right track in that respect, but they sort of changed tact and recognised that we can't really get back to zero, that the case numbers are going to increase. What did you make of that pivot and change of direction? They obviously saw that uh, there was a lot of mystery cases out there and these big numbers that we're starting to see today were on the horizon. Well, I, I think it was a, a natural progression um, and I think it is, um, if I'm reading it right, it's based around that, again, the whole vaccination question. We were in a position in Victoria where... We didn't have enough vaccines to do the job that we wanted to be able to do to get those high rates. So the, your only line of defence then is to push for a zero you know, case scenario and push it and push it and push it. And I believe that has been what has kept Victoria to a large degree in the safe position or you know, reasonably safe position that it's been in. But now we're going to be beginning to see more vaccines coming in and, and as New South Wales gets closer to its target rates, We'll see more vaccines in Victoria, indeed more vaccines available all around the country. Um, you know, I don't buy into this argument of, you know, everyone should get an equal amount. Um, I believe vaccines should be sent where they're needed most. And certainly that's, that's the case for New South Wales and continues to be so at the moment. They have a larger population. They certainly have a much larger population that is infected and are therefore in a greater need to protect those people that don't aren't infected in their community, they, they need to be able to do that. So, you know, we get it on a per capita basis, I believe. I think that's the right move. But I don't think so much it's a pivot. I think it's a it was a situation of we were always waiting for enough vaccines to be able to say, all right, well, you know, we now need to combat it in a different way. We can combat it in a different way. We've got this other tool in the toolbox to be able to do that rather than just relying on, on lockdown situations to try and keep the freedom of movement down and therefore the infection rate down. 
Now, there's talk uh, this morning about lib spill, the idea that the opposition will be having a leadership challenge probably tomorrow, they're saying, and you'd have to assume that the people behind Matthew Guy have the numbers, otherwise why would they be launching a second spill after the first one was so disastrous? What do you make of that in state politics, and does it change the way that you, as uh, the Animal Justice Party, deal with the opposition? Well, look, no, I don't think so. You know, we we, we um, veer the opposition in a particular way, um, you know, when Matthew Guy was um, there at the last election, you know, and, and so, look, I, I, that doesn't change for me at all and doesn't change from the way that we will deal with them. Um, you know, we have our own tactics and we, we stick to those. Um, just because they have a change of leadership, I don't think that changes anything unless their approach to certain policies changes. It would take a, a fundamental shift in their policies towards animals for us to, to, to move in, in that direction. Um, but, look... It's a funny thing. Um, I think you're right. I think you're reading it correctly that you know, Matthew Guy has done the numbers. Otherwise, he wouldn't be challenging because it would literally be political suicide if they were to do so without having the numbers again, having another spill defeated. You know, it, it's, it's not good in the public eye. It makes them look like they are disorganised, a rabble, and, and, and can't really get themselves together. I think what you'll actually find is that um, they'll approach... Uh, Michael O'Brien and ask him to fall on his sword and if they know they have the numbers um, Michael O'Brien is a smart enough man to understand that you know it's better for the party if he falls on his sword and leaves rather than and having almost like a bloodless coup if you like but rather than having you know, all out war in the party room and, because that will play out again in the public eye and I don't think that does them any good. You must hear interesting things just walking around the corridors of Parliament, maybe not so much at the moment with the lockdown, but there must be all sorts of rumours that spread around, and I'm sure you hear probably just as much as anyone else uh, on the crossbench. Oh, look, absolutely. And look, and politics is probably a greater offender in this regard than any any other section of the community. You know, there's a rumour every five seconds about somebody or something else or, you know, something going on and usually they pan out to be completely incorrect and, and, and again, just rumour, there's, there's no basis in them at all but, you know, you hear a lot of things and, and the, the key to that is to just, I, I take the tack of, you know, I just sort of smile and nod my head and, and I say, oh, you don't say, you know, and, and I, I don't put any store in them until I can, you know, put some substance to it. I saw a journalist in the media conference last week in relation to COVID was asking a question about dog grooming and said that it could be an animal health and animal well-being crisis if we don't allow dog grooming because there's clearly dogs that need to be groomed. Just wondering if the Animal Justice Party has a viewpoint on this and is there a way you could do dog grooming and those sorts of services safely? Oh, look, absolutely. And, and I have been lobbying the government every day on this as I did during the last long lockdown. In the first week maybe two weeks, it's not as much of a problem. But once you start to move beyond that, it does become an animal health issue, particularly for breeds with, with you know, longer coats. And, and I put cats in this as well. Now, there's matting, there's, there's sweating, there's the, the, the potential for fleas and, 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 you know, grass ticks and all that sort of stuff, like grass seeds and things like that to get in and, and cause infection. And the, two things occur when this happens. Most people who have these breeds um, care for them deeply and they have, you know, regular checkups 
just like they have with their vet, with their, their regular groomer. So there's a relationship between of trust between the animal that's being groomed and the person doing that job. They are also professionals at their job. You know, they, they don't nick the skin. They don't cause cuts and bruises and things like that. They know what they're doing. And therefore, you, you need that to continue before it becomes a welfare problem and a health problem for that animal. And it also then becomes a mental health problem for the owner of that animal because they become distressed at seeing the animal in, in potentially pain. Now, the other upside of that is is that, you know, we were told by the government, well, you know, they can make an appointment if it's an animal wealth, welfare issue with their vet. Vets are not um, in the position generally where they can take on a whole heap of grooming appointments. Vets are there to do a whole host of other services that relate to the animal's health and well-being, um, operations, injections, um, in, you know, all sorts of other things. You know, we don't want them overwhelmed. And they, I, and, and in the conversations that I've had with various vets and with the AVA and the RSPCA, they don't want to be having their time taken up with grooming appointments for animals. Um, they're not also, you know, they they, they had. Generally speaking, they spend most of their time doing all these other services. It, grooming them is not what they do all the time. So they're not as good at it. And, and they don't want to injure these animals potentially either. You know, it's, it's, it has become now that we've moved into these extended weeks a crisis and it needs to be resolved as quickly as possible. We need to be able to move to um, having the mobile groomers open up like they did before with a, you know, a click and collect, you know, there's no contact between people, but also um, standalone premises with, with a click and collect type scenario as well. We did this before, we can do it again. And of course, Melbourne could be in lockdown until November when they get the 80% uh, doubly vaccinated target hit. So that could be actually a long time. And I suppose that's what the government has to do now is to work out what restrictions we can have for the long haul. It's not so much a short, sharp lockdown anymore. That, that's right. And, and we have to view this as well. I mean, look, I know there's been some criticisms of people, um, you know, a, a, about this and thinking it's not a, a big issue. It is a big issue for every single person who needs to have their animal groomed. And you have to view it also in the same context of, well, you know, we allow for animal welfare, for animal welfare reasons, we allow people who have horses and cattle and sheep, etc., that aren't on the property that they're on, we allow them to travel to feed them, to look after them and to water them because to leave them to starve or, or, you know, or die of, of dehydration would be um, an offence under the Act. So this falls under that category. We must do what we are supposed to be doing in looking after these animals under the Act. Otherwise, it, it, it is its potential breach. And just last of all, I see a tweet's just come out from Bridget Rollison, state political reporter with the ABC, saying that Matthew Guy and Tim Smith have resigned from the shadow cabinet ahead of a leadership spill coming tomorrow. So it really is on, isn't it? It's, it certainly is. And, and, and as I said before, it, it really just comes down to you know, do will uh, Michael O'Brien step down or will he be knifed? Well, thanks for being on the program. Really appreciate it. Talk to you again in a month's time. Thank you, Mitch. And, and thank you to everybody in Geelong who's had their vaccination. Um, please persist. I know that the system isn't 100%, you know, at, you know, going at full blazes, but you're all doing a marvellous job. Have some patience. Go to your GP. Get the advice from your GP. Go and get vaccinated. It is the best way that we can come out of this. Yeah, thank you very much. Well said. Andy Medic there from the Animal Justice Party. The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. 
Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 to 11. Or search for Mitchell's front page on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you get your podcasts.